Hi, Steph. Hi, Max. <laughs> it's the holiday season. Is there anything you're looking forward to in terms of feasting? Feasting through the holidays. Uh, my favorite food of all time is Christmas ham on Christmas Day. Which, and then now I think about it, it's just ham that <laughs> I can buy any time. But it's something about Christmas ham that I just like, oh, I'm so excited. But you wouldn't ever just roast a ham just on a Tuesday. No, that's true. But I can go to the like butcher and say, can I have some of that ham off the bone, please? It's the same thing, but I never do. This so. could be a New Year's resolution for you. More ham. I'll eat ham for like the whole week after Christmas. It's so good. It goes with everything. It is What good. about you? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, we grew up with like Polish food for Christmas, so it was like baked salmon potatoes I don't know it was nothing particularly exciting it's just like oh that's what we eat and I'm like oh well we have this one thing called schledge which sounds disgusting and I think it's definitely an acquired taste but it's raw herring which is fish with like olive oil and raw onion it's really good it smells great (laughs) after it but yeah I've like grown to love it and I think it's tied to Christmas as well that sounds horrifying but I mean after you know that week of just eating everything in sight then you know we hit ourselves with those new year's resolutions like finally this is going to be the year where I really just kick it up a notch and I never do and then it's like a spiral of shame yeah and so it was very interesting listening to this week's bird because she talks so much about you know our relationship to food emotionally and how it totally affects the way we eat and feel about ourselves. And I was nodding along going, yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. So to, this week we're talking to Shira Linchevsky, uh, who's a food therapist. She's a, she's a clinical nutritionist. And it was so interesting. There was something she, oh, what was it that she said that really stood out to me? Oh, it was, it was around like how much guilt there is with food, especially when you're growing up as a child you're always guilted to eat. Like, I, you know, I spent hours cooking for you. You know, there are starving children in Africa. Like, you need to finish your meals. And we kind of develop this guilt around and this need to finish everything on our plate, even yes. though it's not necessarily the best thing for us. And I thought that was super interesting. It was great talking to her. I mean, it definitely made me think differently around how I eat. Although, having said that, since the interview, um, you know, I have spiraled a bit. I've lost control. I've lost control. <laughs> but like the shame has started again. It's the shame like, is back. I need to re-listen to the interview. Yeah, you need to re-listen again. And I mean, there was a lot of helpful stuff, but I think it's a huge amount of work to try and get to the root of our relationship to food and why. I mean, she was talking about using food as a reward and I'll go to the gym and then I'll be like, but I can't eat this burger now because yeah. I went to the gym. And that's just defeating the whole point, but I cannot stop using it. It's a cycle. Like a, I yeah. did a good thing, so I get a treat. Totally. Like I'm my own dog, you know, like I get <laughs> treats. <laughs> well, I think this is a great interview to go into the holidays with, especially with a lot of food coming up. So hopefully everybody benefits from this. Also, just a quick note, this will be our last Bird Talks for 2017. We will be returning end of January. I think January 17th is when we'll be back. Yes. So wishing everybody a very happy holiday and all the best for the new year. Happy holidays.
I love this um, idea of like food therapy, mm-hmm. right? And just there are so many things, just even in your biography, that I was like, I don't know what that is, and I want to know more about it. <laughs> are you from LA originally? I'm from San Francisco originally. Okay. Yeah. Well, let us begin with do you remember your first week in LA? Oh, well, I went, uh, that was back kind of, uh, when I was going to school in LA for UCLA. You know, I, I think what I remember most is anyone who's not from LA won't, this won't mean anything, but Wilshire is the long, you know, it goes from downtown to like the ocean and I remember my roommate being really savvy about, you know, getting around. By the way, there wasn't, like, Google Maps. There was, like, a crappy uh, MapQuest, you know, like, paper printout that, like, drained all your color ink. And I remember <laughs> getting so lost. And my roommate was like, where are you? I was like, don't worry, I'm in Wilshire. And she was like, that could really mean anything. Yeah. And it really did mean that I was downtown and I wanted to be over here on the west side so I remember being lost all the time and by the way it would have really eased my anxiety if I had had what I have now which is like you can check how long something's gonna take and where you could park and all those things all those things are very meaningful to me oh my god especially in LA Mm -hmm. like I can't imagine going from one side to the other without knowing what the traffic situation was like yeah and I just don't like I'm such a nerd I would for like important things like interviews for internships and random things I remember like doing some dry runs Oh, <laughs> like, good move. No, but I mean, it's one of those things where, like, you don't have to do that now because you could say, oh, yeah, and I could see how that would be a weird turn, and I'm going to have to see that it's between these two streets, and you just couldn't really do that on, like, a crumpled up piece of paper. Oh, wow. Those days are gone. I, thank God. Yeah. I did not thrive during the MapQuest <laughs> era. <laughs> okay, so you came down here for school, mm-hmm. which was, was it already food-related? You know, I uh, when I was at UCLA, I was interested in nutrition, but I think, like, a lot of people... I didn't know if it was something that I was just like interested in or something that I should do for real for a job. So I studied some sciences, but then ultimately I didn't want to be pre-med or anything like that. So I was a communications major at UCLA, which is funny. They push a lot of entertainment internships. And so all my first internships and my first job was actually in kind of the entertainment world. I was not good at it, and I also did not enjoy it, and the experience really did help me figure out, oh, I want to do this other thing for real, so I went back to grad school for that. But why nutrition? It's funny. I used to lead with the fact that I was really really into athletics growing up. I was a figure skater, and then I was like a pretty competitive uh, rower. I always, always, always used to lead with that, but now in writing my first book, which is coming out in February... Amazing, by the way. Thank you. Thank you. I'm really excited. In the process of writing that, I kind of had to call bullshit on myself, even though the the athlete part is so true and that I was so interested in food and how to fuel your body and how to be the best that you could be and all of that. It was also a lot motivated by the fact that I was like, I think so many women growing up, I just was uncomfortable in my own skin and I wasn't like 
obese. I wasn't, you know, really significantly overweight or anything. I just was kind of regular, but I didn't feel good. I really didn't feel good. And I kind of felt like you could either eat kind of really restrictively and feel really good about yourself and look good, or you could kind of just like enjoy your life and then not feel good about your body. And then I I really did believe that for a long time. And I just thought that I love food so much. And I remember being kind of like, oh, that sucks because I do want to feel good and I do want to look good. And then uh, when I was working at a big talent agency here, my first job out of college, kind of like, I don't know if you saw the show Entourage, but it was kind of like that. I was working for this very important agent woman and she, she got pregnant my last year that I was there. And the only thing that I loved about my job was making sure that, you know, she was like taken care of and was eating the right things and wasn't downing Diet Coke. She loved you. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, okay, I wasn't like the best assistant in the world, just truthfully. Um, it's just not my skill set. But uh, I did really excel in the caretaking vibe. And then also in that department at the same time, there were people like Jillian Michaels and chefs and kind of experts. And I never wanted to be necessarily like a Jillian Michaels, like a celebrity person, but I did think that I could be an expert. And so I went, that's when I went back to grad school for clinical nutrition. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, also, I think looking at nutrition these days specifically, mm-hmm. it's, it's everywhere. Oh my God, yeah. Like 10 years ago, like, I never talked about nutrition. Right. I, I, the, the, there was no correlation. I mean, I knew when I ate something and I didn't feel good, but there was no thought of like, oh, well, I just won't eat that anymore. Yeah. It's just like, well, oh, I, every time I eat that, I feel sick and that's it. <laughs> right. And it wasn't really something that doctors or anyone was really talking about. It's interesting though now, and I talk about this a lot, which is that I think it's simultaneously a very exciting and also a little bit of a terrifying place in terms of nutrition, just because on the good side, you have so many more people talking about it and being aware and trying to eat more intentionally. And then the flip side of that is there's so much information out there. Not all of it is legit. And what happens is I think it makes people feel like, oh my gosh, it's a new thing every day. And since it's a new thing every day, why bother? Because it's going to be a new thing tomorrow. Right. So I struggle with that. I write a lot and I've written a lot for uh, media and stuff like that and continue to. um, But I get requests all the time from different outlets, you know, wanting me to comment on a certain study. And I decline a lot of them because it feels like, you know, you're taking this study and then kind of flipping it in this weird way to make it seem like clickable, Mm. um, whether, where it's not necessarily something brand new. And I think it's important that we're showcasing, um, cool research out there that's showing different things, but the reality is science doesn't change overnight. And I think that there's a narrative out there that is dangerous where it makes people feel like, Oh, the five re- the five things that you know could be giving you inflammation and you know giving you an early death, like, you know, like just stuff that's so sensationalized. Where it's like, yeah, be um, let's tell people easy things that they can do to be healthier, but don't scare people into it. How much is research a part of your work now? It's a good piece of my work. I'm always on top of what's going on. I'm always looking at stuff for autoimmune patients. I There's a lot of them out there. I'm interested in, you know, if certain, like, supplements, but I, I don't recommend a ton of them, but I'm always interested to mm. know if there is 
a little something that someone could be doing to be reducing inflammation or stuff like that. But I also don't throw supplements at people. In fact, I don't really recommend them. I, well, I should yeah. just gonna ask multivitamins. Should I be eating them? It, it really depends. I mean, the party line for clinical dietitians, if you're eating a balanced diet, you should be able to get everything from food. Mm-hmm. That's true. Not everyone, you know, is in eating a really balanced diet. What I don't like is the idea of I'm going to eat like crap and then just, but I have a multivitamin, so I'm fine. I think that it kind of depends. Like usually they can't hurt, but um, you know, the way I think about it is the kidneys are going to filter out anything you don't need. But when you kind of, the American way is a little bit, if a little bit is good, a shit ton must be amazing for you. And that's, you know, more is more mentality and that's not great especially for the kidneys what about the the term what is it nutrition medical therapy medical nutritional therapy that sounds um yeah and so what's interesting oh sorry there goes the phone um i have a landline by the way which wait who are you where are we what um, year is this in (laughs) yeah no i feel like everyone thinks it's crazy and you know what it's the most delicious thing like uh, who's calling you i don't want to i don't want to I don't want to, if I'm at home, first of all, I conduct a lot of business at home, and I don't want to, like, if you're going to drop a call, that's fine. I don't want to drop the call. Okay. You know? Interesting. Um, yeah, I'm kind of old school like that. So, MNT, yeah. So, uh, it's interesting. The term nutritionist gets thrown around a lot these days, and, you know, there's different types. There's, you know, people like me who have a clinical background. Um, you study biochem, organic chemistry physiology, all those things. You do a residency at a hospital, you take your boards, it's a whole thing. And it's up to you if you want, like me, to also have a holistic approach. Um, There's tons of other people who, you know, there's like these integrative schools and online schools and all of that. And I don't really know that much about those, by the way. But for me, MNT basically means that you've kind of studied each disease state and how nutrition applies to each disease state. So in the hospital, you rotate between, you know, a rotation where you're seeing like all GI patients. Which is? Um, like gastro... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, like stomach stuff, I should say. I all guess different ones. what was really interesting, curious for me was uh, nutritionist therapy. Is that mm. sort of... How- well, that's interesting. Yeah. I, yeah, I... It's funny because I did this whole clinical portion and I was really deep into that, like a big science nerd. I, you know, loved kind of all the ins and outs of that. And it's also kind of comforting because it's like, this is research-based. This is evidence-based. There is science to back this up. And then when I started my private practice, I realized how much of nutrition was about kind of like food therapy. Like I, it wasn't almost the gig I was expecting, even though I knew that I wasn't going to be, you know, breaking things down on a scientific level all the time, I realized just how much I was a food therapist. Mm -hmm. And I've kind of really leaned into that where I think a lot of people come to me, they know more or less what they should be doing or ought to be doing, and they're not doing it. And it's not for the reasons they think, which is Mm -hmm. that they're they lack willpower or they're lazy or they just like will never be able to do it. It's, you know, life gets in the way. It's complicated like anything else. Um, and we all have obstacles. And so uh, my sessions, you know, the beginning is kind of figuring out what those obstacles are, uh, for them. And it's individual. There are definitely 
patterns that come up. And then the reality is being honest, like you're never not going to have those obstacles, but you can be proactive about them and so that they don't stop you in your tracks. Could you give me an example? Yeah. So for example, some people are kind of like go big or go home with food. So they want very badly to have a more balanced diet and maybe lose weight and feel healthier but they also really like food is a reward for them so it's like if they close an amazing deal at work or have some kind of celebration or even some kind of like something that they had to endure their first go-to is to like heal it with food and if they go out to a restaurant it's like no I can't get you know a roasted chicken and veg I need to get like the pasta I need to get apps I need to have all the wine I need to have the dessert that's one kind of very specific thing, but it is an obstacle in that that usually applies to a bunch of different things. A lot of times it's people who are really busy, people who have big jobs who are like, you know, I take care of my family or I, you know, I'm a grown up. I do all these things. I take care of all these things. And at the end of the day, you better believe I deserve this X, Y, and Z. That's always going to be there. That's a part, that's a tendency I don't believe that that won't ever be your tendency. But I think that if you're aware of that and you think about that not as like, oh, I'm a screw up, that's what my tendency is, be like, yeah, everyone has something, this is what my tendency is. How do I sidestep around that and know that that's coming, know that I'm building up to this thing and that I'm going to want to go all out? And what does that mean to me? Do I Is that really treating myself? Is that really the only way I can celebrate something. Are there common scenarios that people have with food that they might not recognize as being unhealthy? That's a good question. I think a lot of times people recognize that they have stuff, but the mistake isn't having them or not recognizing them. It's being shameful about them mm-hmm. because that keeps you perpetually in your place you know where if you're gonna if you're gonna be shameful if you feel shameful about it it's like this dirty little secret and it kind of prevents you from actually being like hey this is a tendency I have it doesn't make me the worst everyone has something how do I acknowledge this so I can move forward Mm -hmm. it doesn't mean that I'm you know erasing it that's I don't think that that's real life but how do I make this not stop me in my track. Yeah, that's interesting. I feel like sometimes I have the tendency to shame myself for eating something bad when I think as a whole, I yes. eat like relatively right, well. Right, right. And then it's like, oh, it's that one thing. And then you feel like crap and then yeah. you eat more. Right. Yeah, it's, it's a real tendency uh, and it happens a lot and it makes sense. It's like you make yourself feel bad that now you're like, whatever, I don't even care anymore. Now I feel bad and I just want to feel better. I mean, that's the most common thing ever I can't even remember it, but I feel like Oprah has, like, a quote about shame. I'm sure she does. That it's, like, the <laughs> obstacle to everything. Yeah, she definitely does. Um, and I'm sure a lot of really successful people do, too, because I think shame... I think shame keeps it. You kind of stuck in that place. It's funny. We do... I think I talk about this in my book. Like, we analyze our relationships, our romantic relationships to death, but we don't actually really analyze our food relationships. We shame ourselves for having stuff with food, but we don't actually be like, hmm, I wonder why I do that. And I wonder why I keep that stuck in that place. But we do. And so I'm kind of trying to be like, let's just talk about it 
and not be shameful about it and just be like, yep, this is some stuff I have. Let's figure out how to still have that and move forward. Yeah, that lens is so interesting. The like analyzing the relationship as opposed to the food. I think we just yeah. take it for granted. Yeah, and it's just, you know, I think food you is can't so talk little. Back to you. Well it can sort of it can, <laughs> just but it can't. I mean, I think we expect relationships to be complicated. Like it's two people with needs and feelings and stuff and it's loaded and it's everything. I don't think we expect it to be like that with food. And I think that whatever we have, we kind of like to bury down deep because we're like, oh, that represents something really weird that I don't want to talk about. Food is loaded. Food is, I mean, think about what it represents. It represents not just like nourishment and pleasure, which I think are like the most basic things. It represents, you know, romance. It represents security. It represents being maternal for a lot of people. It represents family, culture, tradition. Most kids up until the age of about six or seven can self-regulate hunger, which means that they are physiologically full. They'll stop eating, which is why you'd see like a three-year-old at a birthday party eat a bite of a cupcake and put it down. You don't really see a lot of adults do that. And the reason why is because if they're physiologically full, they will stop eating. It doesn't matter how delicious the food is. It's amazing. And what happens is, is around six or seven, we lose it. And we lose it because, you know, we're socialized to eat because it's someone's birthday or because we had a bad, we had to get a shot at the doctor's office or because we got an Anor test or, you know, for all the other reasons that we're socialized to eat and we lose it. And I think most people our age and just in general, adults are trying to get that back to try and kind of figure out when we're hungry, when we're full, all of that stuff. I still remember the day I finished a meal at a restaurant when I was like maybe 15 because I could never finish them and yeah. I always felt bad and yeah. it was this achievement that yes. I ate everything. Yes, oh my god, and clean your plates and people yeah. are starving and all of that yeah. and there's guilt and then it's like I, I you know, work so hard to make this for you mm-hmm. and, you know, all of that stuff. You know, they say that, you know, for when you're feeding your kids and this is so challenging so it's easier said than done but the best possible thing you could do for your kids is to be neutral about it so you know kids go through periods of growing really rapidly where they're very hungry and then they go through periods of growing not so rapidly and they're not that hungry and a lot of parents think that they're just being picky that they're picky eaters but they're really not that hungry and so what happens is you know, they make such a big deal about it. They're like, oh my God, what would you eat? And kids are smart. And they realize that, you know, especially sometimes with grandma and grandpa, that it's like, well, I won't eat anything, but I will eat a cookie. And you learn that and, and you learn to get attention for that and all those things. So the best possible thing you could do is be like, you know, you serve breakfast, whatever you decide it is, mom and dad or mom or dad or moms and dads decide what, the kid is eating and when the kid is eating and where the kid is eating and the kid gets to decide how much and what happens is that say you have breakfast the kid doesn't want it you keep it out for a certain amount of time and then when it's done if they really don't want it they say bye breakfast and then I guarantee you they'll eat lunch you know don't don't become a short order cook don't make it you know cave too far into it it's hard it's easier said than done and and to be honest I'm not a mom yet and I I know that 
when I am, I'm sure I'll have, I already have empathy in that situation. I'm not like, it's easy. Just don't feed your kids. Um, but I know that that is much harder said than done, but it is, you know, it makes sense in terms of just, you know, making it not be like, I can't believe I cut up all this food for you. This is such nice stuff. You should be so lucky to have this. Tons of kids don't have this, you know, all that guilt and stuff, it comes up later. It sounds even easier for the parent, too. If you're the one that's deciding when and what, yeah, there's parents, less pressure. Parents to... or parent or caretaker or whatever decides everything. Yeah. But the kid decides how much they eat. You can't, you know, force your kid. And and it sucks. And I think you wind up wasting food. And it, it must be so annoying if you go to, like, a restaurant and it's nice and they want to order something and then they don't eat it. But the reality is, is kids aren't going to go hungry. You know, if they're physiologically not hungry, they're going to be hungry for their next meal or snack or whatever. But also, you know, kids are smart. And what you see a lot is that they'll say that they're not hungry for the entree. And then when dessert comes out, they're hungry. Right. And you don't really get to do that. Well, how do you navigate that? Yeah. Like, well, you can't eat that. You know, I actually have a good girlfriend who told me this thing that, I mean, I don't even have an answer for this, but I thought it was really funny, which was that she has this rule that they have dessert like once a week or something. She has three kids and the daughter who's like maybe 11 or something was really smart and she broke it up into seven pieces so that she could have a little bit every day. (laughs) And the mom was of course like that's brilliant and like kudos to you for being so disciplined and being like you know what I'd love to have a little piece every day (laughs) but then the son the middle guy was like what I thought we only got it once a day and she was like well we do but then she broke hers up and then it was like a question of sizing so I don't know like we can do this again when I have kids and I figured it out but um, I think the point is that do what you can to make food less loaded you know, less about like, I made this for you and this was, took a long time and, um, this was expensive and food this without was, baggage, food without, but do what you can, you know, it's not going to be perfect. And I think that the reality is so many parents I know, you know, potty training, like they can't do the potty training without like the little M&M stuff. It's like, so some of the, and you know, sometimes your kid's screaming in a grocery store or at a restaurant or something and you're just like, I cannot deal. And I get that. And that's part of the, like, this is real life stuff. That's amazing. That's like blowing my mind. (laughs) From a physiological perspective, are there some things we can keep in mind as we get older? Because I noticed, you know, even five, ten years ago, I had the capacity to just eat a lot Mm -hmm. and it wouldn't affect me on the scale. Mm -hmm. But now it definitely does and I fluctuate more than I ever have. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it was just because I'm getting older, I Mm -hmm. guess. Are there common things that kind of do happen as you get older and your body changes? I would say the most important thing is just blood sugar balance. You know, I think that no matter who you are, some people, you know, are more sensitive than others, but I think that that's a really important thing just in terms of you eat sugar or, you know, a bunch of carbs that turn into sugar, blood sugar goes way up, insulin drops it really low in those cases, and then cortisol, your stress hormone turns on, and those hormones ebbing and flowing affect other hormones. So I would say number one that like if it were just one thing at the blood sugar balance, you know, doing what you can do to not have surges and valleys 
I actually have a lot of clients who come, you know, someone like me who's definitely like was never someone who could just eat however I wanted. Maybe when I like when I was, a, you know, an athlete, but I still couldn't eat whatever, you know, but a lot of people could. I have clients like that now who, you know, were just like string beans and could eat whatever. And then all of a sudden it catches up. And it's interesting, like as someone who I wasn't like that, obviously you always think about people like that and you're like, wow, that must be amazing. And I think it is by the way, <laughs> but I think what happens a lot of times is when you get older, it does catch up with you a little bit. And so I have a lot of people and it's really interesting people, you know, in their thirties and forties who then are like, oh man, I have to think about this stuff for the first time. But it's actually kind of beautiful because oftentimes those people don't really have as much mishigas with food, you know, where they didn't, they have more of the go big or go home thing or that it's kind of a part of their identity. It's less of kind of a loaded thing. How, what about you and how has your relationship with food evolved? Mine has evolved so much. Like I said, I grew up, and again, I wasn't super overweight or anything. I just didn't feel good and I didn't know how to eat for my body. And also, to be honest, I grew up, you know, in the 80s when the fat-free cleanse and grapefruit diet and all of that mm. stuff was really alive and well and we didn't know as much my mom was always on a diet and people were always on diets and I just really did think that you either kind of had to pick a lane you either were super on it and then you could in turn feel really good and look good or you could be like really loving life and enjoying life (laughs) and enjoying food and just really having to like give up uh, feeling good in your own skin and what I realized and it was such an exciting thing for me to realize that that's not true so I have a really good relationship with with food now. I really enjoy food so much, and I don't have to think about it so much, which I think is the real beauty, and that's the real goal, and that's the goal of the book, which is I think from the time a lot of women hit puberty, or right before puberty, to the time they figure that out, this all out, if they ever do, I think a lot of women are spending a lot of time thinking about it, thinking about food and how that they ate too much or what they're going to eat next and all of that. And I think that men aren't doing that Mm. um, to a large extent. And so it's kind of like, let's free ourselves up to think about important shit. What happened with all the fat free stuff is that you had a special K and rice cakes and popcorn and stuff like that. And it's kind of delicious and you could eat so much of it and it's not many calories, but it also tastes like air and it doesn't keep you full. So yeah. you wind up thinking about food all the time. You're like, when's my fat-free froyo? When's my you know next rice cake? I think that that keeps us perpetually kind of thinking about food and obsessing about it and stuff like that and writing it down and whatever. It's like, oh my God, I don't want you to write that down. I want you to sit down, do what you can to eat intentionally, enjoy the shit out of what you're eating, and then move on. Mm-hmm. I have a lot of people who are performers and people in the industry and stuff like that. And then I also have a lot of like, for some reason, I have a lot of law students. Oh, it's not for some reason. It makes sense. There's a lot of stress, um, a lot of stress. And, you know, then when they become like interns and stuff like that, there's like these big fancy dinners that they go to. And so I think there's this kind of, ooh, I'm going to like cash out at this meal because, you know, the company's paying for it and I work so hard for this company and this is like how I'm going to reap the rewards. But I think anytime, whether you have a job that isn't, you know, nine to five, you know, that structure piece 
can be tough. And and I think that you have moments where you, you it's hard to discern stress from boredom, from procrastination to, you know, whatever. And then a lot of times they're like, I probably need a snack. What about, okay, completely outside of yeah. food talking, you've got a book coming out. Yeah. What about personally, like goals, things that you've got planned for your own life? Oh, what wow. What do you want to do? Oh my gosh. You know, it's interesting. <laughs> it's interesting that you say that. I have I have a couple exciting things in the works that I ha- I'm not totally prepared to share, but I, I have this book coming out in February, which I'm really excited about. It was, What's it called? It's called The Food Therapist. It was a major labor of love. Personally what do I have going on? I think, you know, so I have this private practice, um, which I love doing. I do recipes and shoot them and stuff like that, but I'm kind of trying to figure out what's the longevity in that. You know, there's tons of people here in LA who then, you know, that's kind of their full-time job where they, you know, make beautiful food to shoot for Instagram basically. And they get sponsors and stuff like that. And I have never actually taken... I've done consulting for different brands and stuff like that. Not many, but I have done that. Where I just give them my two cents on where I think the market's going and what people want and what people need and what's exciting. But I've never been like paid to post something on Instagram and stuff like that. And I think that originally I thought that that was really awesome because... I think that there were ethical concerns, especially being a registered dietitian. I think it's different if you're not like a part of a bigger kind of clinical program like that. But if you are, I think that there are concerns with, you know, I wouldn't want someone to think that I was recommending something just because they were paying me to do it. Mm -hmm. But now I think I was talking to someone the other day who was like, yeah, but you should be getting paid to do things, you know, where, you know, you're working with brands that you actually really trust and love and um, would use anyways. I think I need to figure out what that means. Like, am I going to continue to create content? I write for Goop, I write for different places, and that's something I love doing. But I need to figure out what I'm doing with that. I think maybe I'm being too precious with it, and that's just an important lesson. And the reality is, this is such, there's no kind of rules for this right now. So it's kind of a little damp. I feel like that's just something we're all facing, right? Yeah. And especially when you're talking to somebody who is, you know, doing something really great that has a lot of attention around, you don't think, like, their life outside of that. Or, what are we doing in 10, 20 years? Right. Is Instagram even going to exist? Right. Exactly. And, And, you know, it's really funny. I've had such an evolution with, like, the Instagram stuff and everything, which is that... When I was in grad school, and I was such a school nerd, and by the way, it was really hard and really intense, and and I was, like, forgetting to do basic human things. Like, I would forget to put on deodorant, and I would have to, like, run to someone. You know, I had all these deodorants in my bag, and then all of a sudden I was like, babe, where are you losing time? Like, be on, like let's take a real non-judgmental look at what's happening. And part of it, I was just, like, screwing around on Facebook and, like, getting into, like, holes of just you know searching random people or you know looking at pictures stalking people yeah obviously (laughs) obviously obviously so this you know i had to be really honest about it and i was like yeah well i don't even need this so i deactivated my facebook and And you haven't reactivated no no no, i did i did so i I was in grad i was in grad school i deactivated my facebook i never had an instagram 
And I was just like, yeah, who needs that? I'm like a clinical professional person learning all this important stuff. And when I'm fully baked, it's going to be great. <laughs> and I'm going to have this practice and whatever. And then I remember I graduated. I'm starting my practice. And I, you know, I'm meeting with people to try and build my website. And one of the women was like, babe, you're so behind. Like you have, you don't have, you have no a Instagram. platform. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, but I have a degree. <laughs> Wow. And I have, like, legit stuff to back myself up. She was like, yeah, but I got to tell you, like, you have no, like, you have no platform. And I was like, whatever. And at first I was really like, I don't need that. And, you know, this is such a waste of time and, like, whatever. And then I realized that you kind of do. That's nuts. Um, so, yeah, I remember feeling really, really behind on that and feeling really like, you know, there were people at that time who had built up you know, presence is less so in like the food world, but some people definitely, I mean, people in the food world, not necessarily everyone in the nutrition world, but like people had really been putting time and energy into building this content and having these platforms and whatever. And I remember, you know, at first, like feeling very much like, oh my God, why would I have to do that? And then being like, oh, I got to do that. And kind of it being this evolution. And now I actually kind of enjoy it. I know people, I mean, people who are very big um, influencers and celebrities and stuff, I think that um, social media can be so upsetting and terrible and people are so nasty to people online. But for me, you know, I'm relatively small in comparison and I, you know, it's a lovely community and everyone's really supportive and people kind of root for me and they yeah. make my recipes, which like I know should be the goal, but it's still... I'm like, what? You made my recipe? That is so nice and you liked it? Like, it really <laughs> makes my heart really full. And I'm always like, I can't believe you, like, went out and got these things or you put them together because of me. I wanted to ask you, what is the best piece of advice you could give? I think if you are authentic in what you're doing, you're never going to go wrong. There's different ways to do things, but don't try and do it how someone else is doing it. I think that that's a way that we get caught up in trying to, you know, compare ourselves to others and be, you know, do it, see one, someone doing something that looks like they're really thriving, like do it your own way and that authentically. And I think that that almost always works. Um, I think anytime I've noticed anyone or myself trying to be like oh but I'm not doing it that way it's like oh yeah because that's just not how I do things yeah here's an example I'm like a major homebody I really am like I love being home it's hard for me to want to leave my house and I'm I'm an introverted extrovert so when I love people and I love connecting with people and what almost any time I go out I wind up enjoying myself most times <laughs> But I thrive off time at home. You know, I I boot up at home. I used to be someone who really wanted to be what other people wanted me to be. And now I'm like, no, I'm okay. A good friend told me one time, maybe this was what I should have said. Um, which, is that, <laughs> which was that if everyone's obsessed with you, if everyone likes you, and this is more personally, then you're you can't be being authentic. And I thought that that was interesting because, you know, I think that the idea of being everything for everyone doesn't work. And then when you get older and you find some professional success and you just are learning more about yourself, you're like, oh, 
maybe I could just be me. And some people will really dig it. Maybe some people won't totally get it. And I think that that's good. It goes the other way, too, because you don't like everyone. Well, no, definitely not. So it's only natural. That yes, of course. Like of course. And that's, I think we always forget that. Yeah. We always, we're always wanting people to like us, but we're perfectly fine not liking people. Absolutely. <laughs> but I'm drawn to people who really don't care. Yeah. Because yeah, I just find it so liberating. Yeah. Looking a year ahead from now. Yeah. What are you sort of hoping to be or have done? Professionally, you know, I'm excited. This book comes out in February. I'm excited to, and I'm also kind of nervous to promote, like that kind of like promotional stuff is scary to me and is embarrassing to me. And I think it's going to be a huge learning and growing phase for me to be like, hey, I'm worthwhile. Like I, like this book is good. Like buy my book, you know, like that stuff is hard, even though I feel so, I'm so proud of it and I'm so excited about it. So I think that, um, but I'm really interested to kind of watch myself navigate this piece, which is going to be, you know, people always talk about like, if you're not being challenged, then you're not growing. That's going to be really challenging for me to be able to kind of stand up and look people in the eye and be like, buy this. I'm worth it. 